Hi, welcome to Tube to Table, the podcast about helping tube-fed kids become happy and healthy eaters. Every week, we will dive into the basics of tube weaning to help unravel the conflicting information families get from doctors, therapists, friends, and family. I'm Jenny, a feeding therapist, mom, and food lover. And I'm Heidi. I'm also a feeding therapist, and I love sharing meals with friends and family and helping kids learn to eat. Come with us as we share practical tips and provide real-world expert advice so that parents can help their little ones start their journey from feeding tube to family table. Hi, and welcome to the Tube to Table podcast. In this week's episode, we're going to be discussing the Parents' Bill of Rights and what parents have a right to when they're getting their child in feeding therapy and looking, in particular, on this podcast in at weaning their kid from their tube and all that entails. Um, I'm Jenny, and I'm joined... Um, by my colleague Heidi. Hi there, Heidi. Hi, how are you today? Good. I'm looking at Heidi, you guys, on this app. She's in a rental. She just finished weaning a little one. And um, you're on your way. You're done, huh? You're wrapping up the intensive. Our last day. And it was so much fun to be back with kids. I bet. Again. Yeah. It's such such a cutie pie. They've done so awesome. It's been so great. Um, Just to be to be back out in the world again with kids. Yeah. And by back out in the world, you mean your rental apartment and their house. <laughs> My rental apartment and their house for sure. And, you know, we washed and scrubbed and it, it was great. It, yeah. it really, there's nothing like it. Um, I know a little bit, a little bit goes a long ways these days. A little bit of contact and change of scenery goes a long way. So and Teddy, yeah. uh, this, the topic that we're, um, talking about today I just have to say I just talked about with these parents oh did yesterday. you oh good yeah so it's actually perfect timing for that it's such a good reminder about its importance yeah yeah well it's like we when people come to us we find parents in all states of <laughs> kind of despair yeah. and stress um, because oftentimes they're really um feeling either led astray by people they work with or just most of the time it's not that they just don't know who's in charge and they don't know which way things are going and they've done things that maybe don't feel right to them. And so we created this little bill of rights um, and we'll link to it obviously in the show notes. You may have already seen it because it's actually true for any feeding therapy, not just for tube weaning. So we're going to talk about it. It's really a feeding therapy bill of rights for parents, but um, it applies to obviously especially so to, to kids with tubes and their families. Mm -hmm. And so, um, we just did this as like a little tool to remind people when they're trying to make sense of the world of feeding therapy, what's okay and what's not (laughs) essentially. Mm -hmm. And so we'll just jump right in. The first, um, the first thing that we like to remind people is that their intuition is super valuable as parents. So if something feels wrong to you, that's super important. And I I know, Heidi, in the evaluation process, when we talk to parents, so many times they tell us things so reluctantly, like, well, we make him have five bites or we coax him to have five bites. And that's not how I would have done it for my other kids. But he has a tube, didn't feel right, but we had to do it that way. Or we were told we had to do it that way and we didn't know what else to do. So we did it that way. So people end up in that place. But it's just a really good reminder that our protective intuition there is there for a reason as parents. And you should either dig a little deeper if it feels wrong it most likely is like most things in life and um and if it isn't it's worth it's worth exploring a little bit more at the very least 
one of the things we talk about a lot with responsive feeding therapy is giving kids agency is the formal word or mm-hmm. autonomy. And that sounds kind of funny, but when you really think about it, it makes a big difference for kids if they have agency, meaning if they have the ability to be in charge, if they have the ability to um, do what feels right for their body, if they get to be a, a person that has rights over their own body. And it feels wrong to take that away. Um, and it's something to, to ask more questions about. It's something yeah. to attention to. And sometimes it's that agency that's been challenged that doesn't sit right well. And sometimes it's simple things like a schedule or the type of formula or the fortification of a formula. And, um, you know, sometimes parents come to us with all sorts of different things that they want to do, but they haven't been able to do because they were mm-hmm. told not to or, and, and this transition, this first one, which we're spending a little bit more time in because it's so important. It kind of leads to some conversations about the other ones. It's, it, it it really highlights the dilemma that happens when you need medical professionals to help your child be treated. But then there's this really strange limbo land where you need the experts to be the experts, but then you're the expert when it comes to your child and your family. And that mm-hmm. transition from medically dependent being medically being dependent on medical experts to back and taking the reins as a parent is not an easy one, but it can happen if your child's in a stable place medically, which we hope they are. If you're even considering <laughs> weaning up right. from there too, that doesn't mean they have, they have to have no nothing going on, but that they're in a stable place. And so, just keeping in mind that that's a normal part of learning to eat too. That the child has to be the child and have agency over their own body, but the parent has to be the parent. And what hap- if it's going to be sustained, it has to feel right to you. And if you're going to protect your child and lead them right, you have to be in it, which kind of leads us into <laughs> the next couple, really. So the second one, this is hard for us to talk about sometimes because it's really infuriating. Um, just full disclosure, we have feelings too about all of this, but um, well, you really shouldn't be um, having someone treat your child without you present. And that's a really um, shocking thing to, for some people to hear. It's really very basic best practice from what we see in the literature, but also from what we know about how tightly attachment, how tightly feeding and attachment are linked. We shouldn't be asking kids to do hard things without their parents in the room. Mm -hmm. I will say as kids get older, Mm -hmm. sometimes being without their parents becomes an appropriate step. You know, as kids get to school age, like preschool even, and some of those things, like there is some transitional periods where that's appropriate. But for the most of the time when kids are learning to eat, their parents should be part of the learning. Yeah, that and learning to eat or or learning to eat things that were difficult uh, or Mm -hmm. or anxiety around them should should happen with the parents in the room. Uh, And that's true for anything. You would be in the room for any intervention that caused anxiety for your child or, you know, with a person that caused anxiety for your child. It's certainly true for food and feeding therapy. Um, And then to jump right into the next one, which is related, another really important reason why you have to be in the room is that the parents should be at the center of the treatment plan. So, often when we read therapy reports and, and and we've disclosed in other episodes, we worked in kind of a more medical model, both of us structure before this, um, before we worked at thrive. Um, but 
the it, you can't separate out the kids and the parents when it comes to eating. It's a relationship. It's it's a thing that happens together. Feeding families happens together. And when we what the most traditional thing we see is therapy, therapy, therapy with a therapist and the parents reading a magazine in the corner or heaven forbid, not even in the room. And then at the very end, they tell you what how it went and maybe give you a few things for what you can work on at home. And that's a problem. <laughs> it's a problem because then they don't know, they don't get to hear from you about your concerns. And sometimes people come, I know I came up with suggestions when I didn't, when I wasn't in the home or when I didn't spend all the time with the families that weren't appropriate, quite frankly. One of my favorite stories is one of my old colleagues years ago was friends with the child that she was treating and they were just at the end of their rope. And she was like, you know what? I'm free this weekend. It was crossing some boundaries, but it was free this weekend. She's like, I will babysit for you this weekend. You need to go do something. And she couldn't implement her own home program. Yeah. She said that was a real eye opener for her because we worked in the clinic and she was like, I've really changed how I do things, realizing that I couldn't myself implement what I'd asked them. Yeah. And there's already so much shame, unfortunately, wrapped up in how we parent and especially with how we parent kids with with medical stuff going on or tubes which there shouldn't, there shouldn't have to be, but there Mm -hmm. is, it's a reality. And so when, um, when we shift the focus from you're doing it wrong, like that's what often happens or it's not working. You, you tried all this stuff at home and it didn't get the same results as it did in therapy. It shouldn't, Mm -hmm. it's not home. It's not the same people. It's not the same context. And, and that's why it doesn't work. And so we always say in our program, if I give you a recommendation and it doesn't work, then I, then I have to come up with a new recommendation. We need to figure it out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And we need to work on it together. It's not like, it's my job to find a recommendation that works for each family. I mean, obviously, as therapists, we feel like there is value to having a therapist as part of the equation. Of course. Um, You know, like this most recent little guy is 18 months old, and he spent a lot of time on my lap and a lot of time on mom's lap. Um, And he, I mean, he was fascinated by what I was doing. And as a new person, I got to come in and show them some tricks and strategies or sometimes just use my status as new girl to, to do some things. But then he would go back to mom's lap and do the same thing. And it wouldn't have been the same had mom not been in the room at all because she wouldn't have been able to do some of those things. But he also, the trust he showed to me got transferred to mom and dad because mom and dad were there and he could go back and forth between all of us. And so there's a huge value to having us all at the table together. Yeah. And whether we're working with people remotely and watching videos or live video or whether we're in the room doing an intensive, we see things that we didn't, we wouldn't have seen if we hadn't been in the room, we hear things from parents that we wouldn't have picked up on if we were in a clinic. You just can't, you can't recreate something like that. And so it's just really important that you're a central part of it. Um, If you, if a treatment plan is going to be effective, the parents have to be at the center of it. Absolutely. Um, And so I think here, let's look at this. Our next one is you deserve to have your questions answered. And this is true for not just a feeding therapy, but also all the kind of ancillary things like dietitians, physicians, all the specialists you might see. Um, If you have a question, ask it. Um, But then also um, I like to give people advice to ask questions um, also in a discerning way. I mean, ask whatever question you have. There's no bad question as, as they say, but, but also if you're asking, why are we doing something? It's okay to say things. I expect I'm, I actually welcome it 
um, it's not as off-putting um, as I think as a parent, people think it might be to say, can you tell me a little bit about how we know this is the right thing to do? Could you tell me why we know this works or why we do it this way instead of the other way? Could you help me understand it? Because I think it'll help me do a better job. You know, whatever the case may be, you have a right to know what it is. Now, um, if people want to talk to you about research, which we're really prone to doing, as you guys can hear in our podcast episodes, but um, if people do talk to you about research, be prepared to ask other questions. Could I see that? How big was the sample size? Was it kids? It, was it longitudinal? Because the biggest gap in studies around feeding therapy is that there's really no long-term studies that support some of the more kind of oral motor behavioral stuff and less responsive approaches and therapists um, and physicians and and others tend to kind of quote those, those studies and they're valid studies. They're scientifically valid studies. It's just, you want to know about the long term. What do we know about this in the long term? Those are really great questions to ask. um, If you know, to ask them, Um, you know, what do we know? What, how is this going to affect my child's relationship with food in the long run? Stuff like that. Those are really good questions to ask to kind of, and you can have any sort of question, like why are we using this formula and not that formula? It could be really simple. But when it comes to the kind of more nuanced stuff, don't be afraid to dig. (laughs) Dig. And I think that it feels disrespectful, but just remembering, like you said, Jenny, there's lots of great ways to ask those questions. It helps sometimes to bring an advocate for yourself, bring someone who's going to ask, like, you know, your husband, your mom, your sister, your friend, anybody who's going to be with you sometimes gives you a little bit more feeling that um, you have someone on your side if you ever feel like you need that when you're in a busy clinic or with a, you know, sometimes it just helps to have someone with you. But just knowing there's so many ways to ask that question respectfully. For sure. and they, they want to help. Yeah. Everybody wants to help. Yeah. And we're, it's our duty as therapists to provide evidence-based practice. And so most of the time they'll be, they'll be happy to share the information they have with you. And then your question is to see how's this going to affect them in the long term. Um, and if you don't have somebody that can go with you, I forget every question the minute I walk. It's like, it's like one of those, um, doodle boards that you doodle on and the minute I walked into a doctor's appointment whether it's for me or anyone in my family it's like someone shakes it and all of the questions I had are just gone so bring a note write down your questions between appointments and keep track of them so that you can go in and ask them Um, and if there's not enough time to ask ask if you can leave a little bit of extra time in the sessions to make sure you're getting the questions answered or email ahead and just yeah. say, this is really important to me. I want to make sure we're all on the same page. I have a couple of questions. Do you mind, you know, email them ahead or prepare them in advance or walk in the room with a piece of paper and say, this is important. I I have a couple of things I'd really love for us to, to talk about together. Yeah. It's, it's, it's great advice. You, we, we do better jobs as therapists and as medical professionals with your, participation and so Mm -hmm. participate don't be afraid um and then the next one is about the big t word the trust (laughs) um which we talk about a lot for good reason but no feeding therapy no feeding intervention is worth destroying the trust that you have between you and your child and um it can happen so if it feels like it's affecting you guys in a way and it feels like it's not trusting or it's not the way you would behave i don't know around playtime or around bedtime or brushing teeth time, if it's not something that feels like it's in sync with who you are as a parent and that it's in, in at odds with the trust relationship you have between you and your child, strongly consider not doing it. 
um, because we know that there there's information out there. I believe that those things are very intricately related, the trust and that Heidi, isn't the, isn't the, you could, you know more about this study than I do. That there is um, a lot of research that shows that even um, trust, like a non, even a, a trusting relationship that is um, trusting in all the other ways, but feeding that feeding can affect yeah. that otherwise respectful relationship that it can undermine um, all the other work that you've done. If you, um, if you do some non-trusting kinds of things with food, we're talking about, yeah, it can be healed. It can totally be healed. Absolutely can be healed. Yeah. So don't, it's not like the end of the road, but it's a really good reason to reconsider moving forward with stuff. And this is the type of stuff that feels like um, taking your child somewhere where they feel unsafe repeatedly, engaging in therapies that are forceful or or pain, not forceful, painful, we hope not, but coercive, um, Mm -hmm. behaviorally focused, reward based, those things tend not to build trust, but erode it. And so we just want to really stay focused on that connection and the quality interaction. And if you stay focused on the quality interaction and we do some of the kind of mindful adjustments of tube delivered nutrition in conjunction with some of these more responsive and connected approaches. That's how you get to more oral eating that lasts right, and has less ramifications. In the long and it time. helps you when you feel stuck. It does. Yeah. Helps you know what to do. And, and that's one of the things we hear over and over again is that people feel so alone. It's such an isolating process to have this child, that you love, that you can't help them learn to eat and you're putting all your trust in these other people and yet you're not getting there. And just remember um, that you don't have to do it alone and that there are therapists like Heidi and I out there, but also you do have more information and, and the things that feel right and wrong to you and the things that you can see between you and your child and between your child and their therapist, those carry way more weight than we usually give them and so just a good Mm -hmm. reminder I think all of these are just a good reminder like like it or not you're at the middle of this uh, you know for good reason you're at the middle of this um puzzle you guys have to be a central part of unlocking this and um when you do the rewards are really sweet as Heidi's gotten to see a little bit this week in her ween. It's so much fun. It's so, fun. Yeah. It's so beautiful to see a little one start to learn to eat with their parents and have that relationship start to be healed, but also have parents start and kids start to experience those mealtimes together finally. <laughs> so, so fun. It's the best. Well, so we're going to post the, to the Parents' Bill of Rights on um, our show notes, which can be found at... Um, thrivewithspectrum.com and don't forget to give us a positive review if you have one on any of the platforms where you listen to your podcasts and find us on Instagram and Facebook by just searching for Thrive by Spectrum Pediatrics you'll find us Um, we hope everybody's really well well Heidi I hope you have a great trip back home thank you yeah all right we'll see you guys next week bye-bye Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Tube to Table podcast. Every week, we're going to share our show notes at thrivewithspectrum.com. In the show notes, you can find a summary of what we discussed and links to all the resources that we mentioned. Also, you can visit us on social media and Instagram and Facebook. We can be found at Thrive with Spectrum. And on Twitter, you can find us at Thrive with SP. 
please don't hesitate to reach out to us on social media and let us know if you have any input or any topics that you'd really like to see us address. We'll be back next week. 